Welcome to Rule 8 Politics, the show where we always tell the truth, where we at least don't lie. Sometimes we screw up and get stuff wrong, but we uh, will always circle back, correct it. If uh, any errors have been brought to our attention, it's impossible to always be correct. We at least acknowledge that, and we do our best to be truthful and honest all the time. Today is our pre-election special show. We're going to be talking about our election predictions, but first we're going to talk about the big stories of the week. Um, of course, I should say that my name is Zach Sacker, and I'm again here with my co-host, Jeremy Sammons. Um, a few of the stories we'll be talking about are Operation Autumn Hope, the big tech hearings with Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, and Sundar Pichai, the CEOs of Twitter and Square for Jack Dorsey, uh, Facebook for Zuckerberg, and Pichai is the CEO of Google. And we'll also be talking about the a little bit about the um, the uh, the fatal shooting of Walter Wallace Jr. in Philadelphia, as well as our predictions for the election. So um, I guess let's begin with our first topic, Operation Autumn Hope. Uh, Jeremy, you want to break down what what Operation Autumn Hope was? Yeah. So when this news broke um, earlier this week, it I guess I was really surprised, uh, just really shocked in the numbers that were produced from this operation. So, so what went down was there. Uh, this was in Ohio. There were 45 missing children found, 109 human trafficking survivors rescued, and 179 arrests were made. So it's just by the sheer numbers. It was the largest largest bust in Ohio's uh, human trafficking history. And so what was going on here was they were rescuing victims of human trafficking and referring them to social services, recovering missing and exploited children, apprehending those seeking to have sex with a minor, and arresting male Johns seeking to buy sex. So I think when you hear the, the 179 arrests, all right, what, what's kind of frustrating with the story right now is that we don't know what the people that were arrested are being charged with. So it, as, as somebody, you know, from that 179, how many are being charged for, for just normal prostitution type stuff, right? Like, I think it's, it's once, once we get that kind of weeded out from here and see like, like how many people were actively, actively uh, trafficking these people, how many were actually seeking sex with minors? That's, I think, when like the real, the real crazy shit comes out. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, forty-five missing children found, a hundred nine human trafficking survivors rescued. Those are, I mean, amazing numbers. So, I mean, huge props to the the U.S. Marshals, and there was like over fifty agencies involved here. Um, huge props to all of them, and uh, they 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 all deserve uh, our praise for this successful operation here. Yeah, this was a, a positive story. And, you know, we haven't, we never hear anything good coming out of the news. You know, everything is always negative. But 179 people arrested, 109 human trafficking victims rescued, including 45 children. Uh, it's just really a, a, an incredible story. You know, 45 children who, uh, you know, hopefully after some, 
some counseling, we'll be able to get back to normal life and be re, uh, reunited with their families. Um, there was this, this followed, uh, there was also back in August, uh, they found, this was before Operation Autumn Hope. There, there were other operations leading up to this right before. Uh, 25 found in Ohio, the same, st same state in August. Um, another 39 in Indiana and uh, no, 39 in, oops, I have a little mistake in my notes here. Eight in Indiana and 39 in another state, which in my notes I also have listed as Indiana, but I know that's not correct. But anyway, leading up to this uh, bust last week, um, back in August, you know, we, we the U.S. Um, Marshals rescued a, a, a number of large number of, of other children and um you know on one hand it's 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 a good thing that we're finding these kids and busting these sex trafficking rings but it's kind of like you know scary that this stuff exists and in the united states you know i mean this is something that you would expect to be happening in like third world countries and whatnot elsewhere not really here but you know, sex trafficking is a really big deal in the United States. And, you know, I feel like I feel like every year there's a, a big story that's coming out, whether it's it's Jeffrey Epstein or, you know, um, um, Harvey Weinstein. You know, there, there are these cases that are coming out that are, are just like showing that this is really a big a, a, big deal here. Um, and uh, my question to you is, um, how do you think this impacts the uh, QAnon conspiracy theory movement? Well, I mean, like always, uh, Q is right, you know? <laughs> uh, I, I definitely adds more fuel to the fire for that type of conspiratorial thinking um, because like but with every outlandish conspiracy theory, there is always a grain of truth, a little bit of evidence, something that like opens up that door that like, holy shit, maybe, maybe, maybe fucking Hillary Clinton does drink the blood of children, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's like, you know, it starts with, uh, you know, does human trafficking exist? Yes. To what extent? Who knows? And then so like, or, well, here's a crazy statistic here. Well, it seems like it's a big deal. You know, that's what I'm, yeah. the point I'm trying to make. Like it, it's right. greater than I've ever imagined. You know, I, I, if, I mean, if you told me that they were going to find a, a, a ring in, th in 2020 with uh, 109 trafficking victims, 45 children, I, I mean, I would have said that's not in the United States, maybe you know, like in Mexico, the cartel, Mexico, like yes, that. Yeah. exactly. That's something that the cartels would do not here, you know, but my God, it's, it's, it's a huge problem here. Right. Um, so this, this is pulled from, um, the U S Marshall's website here. Um, back in 2019, there was a reported of two twenty three thousand five hundred cases of endangered young people reported to the organization. And it was likely that one in every six of those were victims of child sex trafficking. Which is that? That's yeah, insane. I mean, yeah. Those, those numbers, yeah, it's just it's hard to believe. That's yeah, it's within our borders here in this country. It, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's and, uh, and especially in, in, in like places like Ohio, Indiana, 
like it's 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 it strikes me as strange as like like what are the conditions that lead up to the, like those areas in particular becoming the hotbed for that type of activity like what's so why is it so favorable in a place like ohio like pennsylvania makes sense because i mean it's a huge um network hub for distribution uh, a, a lot of uh major companies have their their uh, distribution centers based in indiana so okay mm-hmm. i get it that makes sense but ohio mm-hmm. well what, you, what i'm unsure of i don't think this information's out there yet but you know were these kids found in ohio were they from ohio or were they brought in from elsewhere you know so like good point could they have been brought in from florida or even from another country um, right. that i don't think is public information at least not yet i, I couldn't find it i tried to look um, but still uh, it's just uh it's just really really in- incredible um and again props to uh everybody involved in this case in uh in busting these people um was going to ask you something else on this but i'm i'm blanking here um uh how did you how do you think that this bus will affect the defund the police movement um i honestly i don't think it's going to impact it all that much sadly because uh, the the people involved in, in this investigation, the, the detectives and whatnot, and, and the U S marshals, um, they're not the same people patrolling the streets, right. For the most part. Um, so, uh, I mean, the, the fund, the police movement, I, 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 I just don't see people really connecting the dots there all that much, you know, I mean, the, the concerns of BLM are more directed at what's going on in their communities, what they see as injustices uh, played out on their streets between the police and between uh, people of color, um, you know, hunting down um, sex traffickers is kind of like a, a totally different ball game, I think, you know, and it's more of a, you know, I, I think that there are um, um, federal officials involved in that versus local police officers. Um, and also this really this story didn't really get all that much coverage this week. You know, I think it's something important. And, and so yeah. do you. And that's why we're talking about yeah. it. But it really wasn't on the news at all. It was like a, a quick headline that popped up when when uh, this first went down. And, and that was it. In fact, I've never. I didn't once see them talk about this on, I watch a lot of news, Fox and CNN. Mostly I go back and forth between the two. Uh, maybe they did talk about it and I just missed it, but I don't recall hearing, seeing them talk about this at all this week. You know, I, I just saw it uh, elsewhere. I think on, on a article that I found on my phone somehow. Um, so, I mean, it, it, they're not talking about it. it, it it's not, I bet a lot of the people uh, listening or watching this podcast, this may be news to them, you know, and if it is, if this, if you're watching this or listening and this is news to you, I think that kind of proves my point that um, it's probably just not going to impact the defund the police movement all that much because it's just not, you know, in, in the front of people's um, 
um, mind. You know, it, it's not. Um, I, I think the QAnon people might be a little bit more vocal, and then they be, may be able to say, "Hey, you know, can't defund the police. We need to, you know, give them more funds. Look at all the good work that they're doing. They're saving these kids." But I don't think the BLM people are going to be listening and taking advice from the QAnon people, and and vice versa, really. So um, I don't think it really uh, has that much of an impact. Yeah, I think you might be right, but I I think whenever I come into contact with the defund the police uh, type people, this will be the one thing that I always refer to. I'll be like, "Well, well, what about this? When you say defund the police, like, what do you really mean? Do you mean defund just your local police? Because I think this this whole thing started with at the local level, yeah, and you know, got bigger and bigger. So if you don't have these people on the ground, these people to to reach out to, I mean, like, when you see something crazy, when you when you hear about a a, a prostitution ring, like, it's not your first instinct to be like, oh, better call the fucking FBI. No, it's yeah, Yeah, you're right. All all crimes begin local usually right especially yeah. when you're investigating it and then sometimes it, com- it reaches a point where you gotta get the feds involved but it always begins local and that's your local police so yes you are correct about that that's a good point so yeah that's uh that's what i'm always gonna until something even crazier comes out that's this is the story i'm gonna refer to and be like hey this is why we should do exactly the opposite of what you're suggesting <laughs> yeah um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right. Any other points on this? Should we move on to, uh, our next topic? Let's move. All right. Uh, big tech, uh, Jack Dorsey, uh, CEO of Twitter and square Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook and Sundar, Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google. Alphabet, I should say, which is the parent company of Google. Um, they were all on Capitol Hill this week uh, receiving a grilling from senators. This was after Facebook and Twitter decided to block a story critical of Joe Biden that was published by the New York Post. Uh, conservatives have been sounding the alarm now for years about a uh, uh, a left-wing bias that big tech companies have. Um, a lot of, much of Silicon Valley is, you know, it's in California, liberal. You got a lot of left-wing people working at these tech companies. And uh, there's been a concern that they've been silencing conservative voices. And, you know, we're just a few days out from the election. A, a major story came out in the New York Post alleging corruption on behalf of Joe and Hunter Biden. It's a it's a big story. It does seem like a big deal. And uh, this was censored by first Twitter and then Facebook. Um, I should say that uh, I believe they both did reverse the censoring to an extent. They are able now to post these stories. But the New York Post is the the fourth largest newspaper in the country. And it was founded by Alexander Hamilton. It's it's an old publication. Who, you know, how, you know, I'll give my quick take here and, and then, you know, we'll, we'll go over, we'll see what, what you think. I don't know if you agree with me on this, but, I, you know, what gives Jack Dorsey the right 
to really interfere in our election this way. You know, I mean, how does how should he have more of a say over what people get to read and, and hear um, than the New York Post, you know, uh, a publication that's been around for a few hundred years now has been with us since our founding. Um, it, it just it doesn't doesn't seem right to me. What say you? Yeah, I think what's uh, it's tricky. It's tricky. Like all right, so, so do sections the sections of section two thirty um, do they need to be revised? Yeah, mo- more than likely, yes, they do. I think what's or kind of how we've gotten ourselves here is that when when companies like Google, Facebook, and Twitter were all founded, I mean they they had no idea that they were going to have this, this level of influence over, you know, American uh, discourse and uh, American conversation. And I, I think, I mean, like, there's, I don't think there's any way that they could have imagined how popular those platforms became. And like, no one, no one ever has been this popular. Like there's mm-hmm. never been one platform that so many people go to so frequently. So it's, it's just tricky because there's there's nothing else to relate it to in our in, yeah. in our past, um, but it's also it also begs the question: um, How much does the government have to say about what these private entities are allowed to do, what they can, what they can't do? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's it strikes me as, as interesting that this argument is coming from the right instead of the left, just because it's, yeah. you know, traditionally outside their, 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 their general role. Like, you know, the, seeing the right uh, campaign and advocate for, 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 for so like the, the, uh, the Trump administration is like, like highlighted for its lack of deregulation, rolling back regulations. And it's funny, or it, it strikes me as interesting to see them champion these mass, this is like a massive regulation, be a, a huge, a huge changing to the internet as we know it. Mm-hmm. It strikes me as weird, a bit hypo, uh, hypocritical, perhaps. Um, but I, I don't, I'm conflicted about it, you know, yeah. about the direction we should go here. I, on one hand, uh, I kind of feel like the Supreme Court ruling that allowed that, uh, that bakery to discriminate against that gay couple based on religion. You know, that that's the same reason why any company can say, you can't enter my store unless you're wearing a mask. That's like, right. That's the same. That's the same legislation here. Right. So if like, if, if, a, if a company says, Hey, you can't put that shit on my fucking website. <laughs> See, this is this where it gets fucked up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, changing the law would have massive implications and uh i think i really need to think a little more deeply about it before mm-hmm. i strong forward or strong against well I, I think we actually need to see like some proposals and compare and contrast some because I, we, mm-hmm. we also have a congress that doesn't know dick about technology i don't know yeah, dick about the internet so uh, <laughs> um I, what do what do they want to do about it? Is, yeah. Well, Congress we is, is split on the issue. You know, you have the Democrats who want more censorship and oversight. 
they want uh, these tech companies to play the role of moderator and take down what what is considered to be misinformation or untruths. You know, my concern is, you know, how do you, you know, who determines what is misinformation and, and what's not? And I think this this New York Post article is a perfect example of that. You know, there is nothing. I mean, the Bidens have not denied that that it was Hunter Biden's laptop, you know, that's definitely, that was definitely Hunter Biden's laptop that was left at that shop. And we know that because if it wasn't, they'd be saying, Hey, that was a plant. That's, that's Mm -hmm. not Hunter's. We're not hearing that. They're not denying it. They're just trying not to talk about it. You know, they'd rather censor it. And I mean, the, the, the mainstream media outlets, which are mostly left leaning or at least anti-Trump, um, CNN, MSNBC, uh, the New York Times, and on and on. They're not even talking about this. Um, you know, the these corruption allegations, this the story with the laptop from hell, as Trump likes to call it, is is a is a new story that just just came out with the publication um, that the New York Post did. But there have been corruption concerns about Hunter Biden uh, with his dealings in in Ukraine. Uh, getting paid. Um, I've heard all sorts of figures, but a shit ton of money for essentially just being being a link between the vice president, Hunter Biden, and uh, this Ukrainian energy company, Burisma, Um, you know, with no energy experience, no experience in Ukrainian affairs. This has been a story for a long time, and the mainstream media has refused to cover it. And I think that was a major failing because had they covered it, Joe Biden may not be the vice president. I mean, the presidential nominee for the Democrats right now. They may have instead picked somebody else who doesn't have all this baggage, you know. Um, And of course, you know, whatever was being published back then uh, was kind of the tip of the iceberg. And now we have this this laptop that basically confirms a lot of those concerns that initially popped up back then. Um, Now it looks like Joe Biden himself was in on this, possibly getting a kickback. He's referred to as the big guy who needs 10% of, of, you know, the the payout. Uh, So I think I went on a little bit of a rant there, but I did want to reference uh, <laughs> Section 230, which which you brought up before. I, di- I did want to circle back to that real quick um, and, and explain what that is. Section 230, because this is in the news a lot now. Um, Section 230 was part of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, and it basically provides immunity for website publishers uh, so that they can't be so that they're not liable for third party content. So if you have a website that has a forum where people can, anybody, you, me, you know, your mom can go post stuff on there. um, Twitter can't be sued for what somebody says on their platform. They're not responsible. Uh, This is different than what traditional media companies uh, have, you know, um, if the New York Post, for example, publishes something that is false, they can be sued for spreading misinformation. There's laws on the, on the books already, you know, it's um, 
I always get confused between libel and slander. I'm not uh, an attorney or a law guy by any means, but you know, if you are a media company, a traditional media company, you can be sued for spreading false information. Um, But if you're a platform protected under Section 230, you can't. And this was designed to basically encourage growth of the internet back in 1996 when the internet was very new. Uh, Websites were very concerned about having other people posting stuff on their growing sites. And, you know, how do we how do we moderate, you know, millions of users interacting online and, and make sure that, you know, nothing false is said? You can't. It's an impossibility. So. I think Section 230 was created with good intentions um, and, you know, it possibly is still a good thing. Uh, but I think the understanding should be that these companies act like platforms, not like moderators, because if they're going to be moderating and curating their content, then they appear to be acting more like tradition- traditional media companies, uh, which don't have these liability protections in place. You know, if people are going to be relying on Twitter or on um, Facebook to, you know, it was on Facebook, therefore it must be true. I mean, if that's what people uh, are going to believe, then um, um people shouldn't believe that, you know, uh, you know, stuff that's, that's put on, on, on Facebook, put on by, by stuff, you know, anybody can say anything on, on Facebook, Twitter, and you know, that's, that's where the, the, the battle is, but it's just such a slippery slope because, um, you know, when you have millions of people posting things, um, you know, uh, to, uh, how do you fact check things, especially when it comes to politics, where, you know, um, the glass could be half full and at the same time half empty. And, you know, depending on the person who's looking at it is going to see something, something different. You know, there are um, kind of multiple truths just depending on how you look at at things. And it it really just becomes up to the, the people in charge to censor what they want to censor. And that's when their own individual biases come out and you know in a world full of misinformation is always going to be misinformation out there i think the only way to correct that is is more information you know empower people to get to do their own research do their own homework get more information um don't believe everything you know we should be telling people don't believe everything that you read on facebook don't believe everything that you read on twitter instead it seems to me that the Democrats, and I'm picking on here on them here, want people to be able to believe everything that they see and read on, on Facebook and Twitter. You know, no, people should have to, you know, you go to school, you, 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 you know, uh, and part of going to school is learning critical thinking. Um, you know, when you're learning how to, you know, even at just the high school level, you're, you're preparing for college. Um, you know, uh, maybe things have changed now, but we used to be told you can't use Wikipedia as a, as a citation in, in your research papers because anybody could post things on Wikipedia. Therefore, it's not a credible source. You know, we learned about credible and uncredible sources 
in high school, right? So, I mean, the American people should understand that not everything online is true. And that's the message, really, that our politicians should really be uh, screaming about. Not everything is true online. Do your own uh, homework. Um, this QAnon, QAnon stuff is not true. Here is the truth. Instead, they just, they're just rushing to censor. And, and, you know, when you want to censor stuff, it makes people actually more curious about it. You know, I, I think this New York Post story became a bigger deal than it was. I mean, it was a big deal, but I think it, it, it garnered more interest because it was censored. So it, it's just kind of self-defeating. And it's, it comes from, in, in my opinion, a lack of trust of the American people to be able to decipher information for themselves. Sorry about the yeah, long I, I, it, No, 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 it's fine. No, I, you know, uh, ideologically, where I stand on the issue is that no, they should not be, they should not be censoring anything. I, I think, uh, uh, when it, even when it comes to Alex Jones, when it comes to QAnon, when it comes to anything as outlandish as you can imagine, I don't think anything should be removed from the internet, regardless of its content. However, I recognize that these companies do have rights at the same time, and if they wish to exercise them within the scope of the law as it's written, as well... I was like, I, I disagree with their actions, but at the same time, I was like, well, you didn't, you didn't do anything necessarily wrong. You didn't do anything illegal. Let me say that better. You didn't, you didn't break the law here, but yeah, it's not cool what you did. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's kind of how, I mean, how I feel. I mean, you can argue that this right that they have to moderate the content they only have because of Section 230. So it's kind of a the, the government that is kind of giving them this right to curate their content. Because, you know, if you're curating, if, you, if you're picking and choosing, choosing what is published, then you're essentially a publisher. You're not really a platform anymore. You know, um, are they publishers or, or, or are they platforms? Um, you know, what should they be classified as? Uh, you know, maybe people should be able to sue Twitter if somebody is lying uh, on Twitter and, and Twitter doesn't remove it. You know, I mean, if, if Twitter wants the responsibility of 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 uh, if, if Twitter wants to be responsible for what's on their platform, if they feel that they're responsible, then they should actually be responsible maybe section 230 should be removed and and that you know enacting section 230 was government action not you know i mean I, the libertarian argument is government shouldn't be involved well section 230 is uh, an example of how the government created this this current situation without it um Without Section 230, these these platforms or publishers, whatever you want to call them, would really have to choose which they would want to act as. Do they want to strictly be a publisher, like a, a traditional newspaper, or do they want to be a uh, a platform? And I I, I don't know. It's it's very complicated, um, but uh, 
you know, I, I just, just ultimately think that, uh, you know, there's a reason why the first amendment is the first amendment, you know, the most sacred thing that we have as individuals is, is our thoughts and our right or ability to express those thoughts. And, um, I don't think any large institution, whether we're talking about governments or monopolies or, you know, multi-billion dollar tech companies, um, because I I don't necessarily think Twitter is a monopoly or or even Facebook, you know, there are other platforms out there, but it's very, it's very complicated. These companies don't fall into that initial, that those categories of monopoly or a competitive company, but, um, I don't think any large in- institution really should have the uh, ability to restrict what people are saying in public. And when you're writing something on Twitter, even though it's saved on a private server somewhere, it's really, it's in, it's in the public sphere. You know, this is different than, you know, being in Walmart and, and shouting you know, things that uh, are, are, are offensive, you know, that's a very different thing than uh, saying something on, on Twitter, which is really a public square in, in a sense. Um, so, you know, this is kind of an, an, a, a one, a rare area where I kind of think the government needs to basically give these companies guidelines and a lot of them, they want guidelines, you know, I mean, it's, it's very difficult and costly for these companies to play moderator they have to you know employ people to uh search through tweets and and you know check up on complaints it's very expensive and costly um they do it because if they don't you know the left gets really angry at them if the government were just to come out and say okay the guidelines for the internet where we're updating section 230 um you know, the new guidelines moving forward is that if you are a social media platform, you need to abide by First Amendment principles. Boom. That, that's it. And, and, and the story. Um, and, and people, if you're using these platforms, make sure you verify anything that you see. Take everything with a grain of salt. Do your own homework. Be a big boy, a big girl, you know, and, and use your knowledge that you learned in high school. Um, make sure that the sources are, you know, good sources, you know, don't just believe in, in everything. Um, so I, that's just my thoughts, my feelings. Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, it's, I'm, I'm conflicted on, on the situation. Um, I just, yeah, I, I agree. Some things probably do need to be changed, but I would like to look at the revisions that they are, that are, going to be put on the table because i think some of what they want to change might be even worse than what we currently have yeah um i think one thing that was i'm I'm probably gonna say this wrong or not the way that i want to but it's something like the the system that twitter has kind of worked in this situation meaning that they it was due to the community backlash they got. They realized, yeah, yeah, we fucked up. Yeah. I'm going to reverse that and, you know, Mm -hmm. not do that again. Um, So maybe 
maybe the the result was two thirty as it's written, working correctly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like I, 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 I'm not saying that's like my position. It's just an idea, and uh, maybe a different way to, to look at the problem. Yeah. Um, one good example here. Um, quick shout out to uh, this, this person who tweeted this on, on Twitter um, at Alejandro J. Puega or Puga. Um, sorry, Alejandro, if I got your name wrong there. Um, but uh, I saw he, he tweeted this on Twitter. He says, I guess promoting to volunteer for President Trump is considered a quote harm or a c- crime, according to Instagram. Now I'm currently locked out of my account. This is a clear attempt to censor conservative voices four days out from election day. This needs to stop. And he included some, a a picture basically that was banned on Instagram. And it was just him wearing a Latinos for Trump shirt. And he had a bunch of uh, uh, Trump, what looked like um, billboard signs behind them. It was nothing offensive or or, or wrong, you know, um, it was definitely not harm or a crime. Uh, and he was locked out of his account for that image. I mean, he got it reinstated. He followed up to the tweet um, after, uh, after um, you know, he, he uh, complained to Instagram about it, but also got this going on Twitter. And he, this got a whole, a whole bunch of retweets and stuff. And he was able to get a, uh, the attention of a lot of people, which, you know, kind of pressured Instagram, which is really essentially Facebook. Instagram is, is owned by Facebook. Um, but like, like who decides that to censor that? Why should that be censored? That's just, that's just crazy. You know, the people making these decisions to censor other people are human beings and human beings are by definition imperfect beings. We all make mistakes. So, I mean, when you're dealing with a platform with a lot of people on it, you, you should just assume that some of the information on there is, is wrong. And it's just way more dangerous, in my opinion, to give people the power to censor other people. Because yeah, once that power, it, it, once that power exists, you can really use that uh, to nefarious ends. You know, right. you can, uh, you can did... use that to sway elections. You can use that to, to totally shut down and discredit certain individuals and certain movements. Um, you know, th- this is something that if, if it falls into the wrong hands, it could really, really damage our democracy. Um, I, I think that the bulk of the people are usually in the right most of the time, you know, and uh, um, I, it just concerns me when a, a select few people in positions of power at, big tech companies have the ability to essentially control the national dialogue. That scares me. Yeah, it definitely did seem like there was a, uh, a an intentional and coordinated effort to squash the unity 2020 movement on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like their, their, their account is still banned. Yeah. Which for, for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a, so another yeah, they, good example right there. They did nothing yeah, um, wrong. Right. Uh, Eric Weinstein was uh, banned off of uh, Facebook for uh, temporarily as well. So yeah, so they, these these people are getting caught in these filters that they they shouldn't be. And it's I mean, but it's 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 so fucking hard to regulate this shit. Um, I mean, when you have a platform, you have 
you know, billions of users, man, yeah. it's, it's, in, it's, it's so impossible. hard. To... The regulators are going to get stuff wrong. You know, that's why just free speech principles, you know, just it's going to be, look, there's going to be a lot of truth, but there's going to be some mistruths. There's going to be some meanness going on and, and, and hatred. But you know what? Words are not violence. I think that's another problem that is occurring in our in our culture now. Um, I think a lot of young people are starting to equate mean words with, with violence, and they are not the same thing. Um, it's a really good book on this. Um, the Coddling of the American Mind. Coddling of by uh, Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt. Um, I, I read it about a, a month or two ago. Excellent read. I highly recommend people check out this book. Um, and, and it's all about how um, it, it's about basically the, these these censorship movements and how they began on our college campuses and uh they're now beginning to take over a lot of uh uh workplaces and that's kind of what's going on at spotify right now with joe rogan um for those of you who aren't familiar i'm sure you are if you're listening to this podcast because if you're listening to this podcast you probably like podcasts and that probably means that you occasionally check out the king of podcasting mr joe rogan he's the most popular podcaster in the country and um he has uh, a few months ago, he signed a deal with Spotify to move his stuff over to Spotify. He previously was not available on there uh, beginning, I believe, in January. He will be exclusively on Spotify. And since moving over there, employees at Spotify have been pressuring the company to censor Joe Rogan. Uh, they don't like some of the guests that he's had on. They say things that could be mean and again this new generation uh, of of i want to say kids but they're really you know young adults now working at these companies they're equating meanness with with violence and it's not true and a lot of the guests that they're claiming uh to be hateful mean people they're not they're just like people questioning whether whether um Trans men who become women should be allowed to compete in sports in in women's sports. You know, if I mean that's a legitimate argument to be made there. You know, if if you if, if you've been a guy for thirty years and you've had testosterone flowing through you, and if you've had the those kind of uh, benefits as it relates to uh, uh, muscle creation and and whatnot, um, you know, for you to all of a sudden just become a woman one, one day and. and sign up to uh you know compete in track and field uh on a, on a woman's team and you're, you're crushing records left and right i mean that's not right that's that's not fair to women who uh are involved in women's sports who now have to compete against biological men um which i mean i think i could actually be censored for saying that what i just said biological men that seems to be an offensive term to a lot of people um you know we're just we're just starting to get really crazy with the censorship stuff and it makes it really difficult to have an honest discussion when you have to be very careful about everything that you you might say or your guest might say and uh it's just, it's just really dystopian, you know? You, you should be able to have open and honest conversations with people. 
And, and I love how uh, Joe Rogan had Alex Jones back on this week <laughs> just to uh, really piss off all those Spotify employees. It was a great episode. You, uh, you check it out. Oh my God. It's, it's one of the best. Um, yeah. Uh, the, 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 uh, it's, the last half hour, the last half hour is actually pretty sad. And I think you get a, it really humanizes and personalizes uh, Alex Jones in a way that you, it shows a side of Alex that you don't get to see very often. Um, so I thought it was, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was perfect. Um, yeah. yeah, looking I'm looking forward to their debate coverage. Not debate, election night coverage. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's gonna be good. I think they are gonna live stream and get really drunk and just watch the results come in, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that what they said they're doing? That's what it seems like to me, man. So yeah, it's uh yeah, the that's, uh that's a... the, the uh, end of the world party they did back in 2016 was I think one of the best moments in internet history. So I think 2020 <laughs> will live up to just how good it was last uh, election cycle. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't watch that one, uh, but uh, this this year I probably will. Um, yeah, I've only uh, only gone into Joe Rogan. Uh, I don't know within like uh, maybe like two years ago or so. I don't think I was really watching his stuff in 2016 during the last cycle. But uh, uh, but anyway. <laughs> Should we move on? Let's move on. So, right. uh, yeah. What, so, what do we got now? The riots. Um, yeah, I just say just uh, yeah. yeah. We can talk about the riots a little bit, but I think it's um the election, and, and uh, I, I can't believe it's finally here. It's finally here. Thank God, our long national nightmare is over. <laughs> I think that's what. Um, uh, uh, who said that? Uh, President Ford, uh, when he first took office after uh, Nixon and uh, Spiro Agnew, the, the vice president, uh, resigned. Um, but, um, tell you the truth, uh, I don't think it's exactly true what I just said. I think we are in for a reckoning. Um, but, uh, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to be crazy. Um, I think, I think. It's like I, I. It's hard for me to put a, a number on how sure I am, but it feels. I have a. I say I feel. How about that? That, that might be more appropriate. I have a feeling that that Biden's going to take it. Um, I I feel like the, the electoral map on predicted the the online betting website is the most accurate one out there, and the electoral map that they have drawn up is they can't really decide if Biden's going to win with 305 electoral votes or if he wins with 290, which I believe it's uh, mm-hmm. North Carolina that they, the vote keeps sw- uh, swapping on itself. So, man, as the people that are really putting their money where their mouth is, like, no bullshit. Like, you know, I, I, I feel so strongly that this is going to be the outcome of the election that I will put money towards it. You know, I I think that gives that method a little more, um, that's a little more credible than just what you get from like a CNN poll. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that saying Joe Biden by how much? Uh, Joe Biden. Uh, right now it's at Joe Biden's at three Oh five. 
and that would have Trump at I can't do the math in my head. Okay. Uh, two thirty three. Okay, and you need two seventy to win the right. White House. Right. Yeah. So three um, so three hundred five. Talking about right. Well, it gets a little trickier here too. So let's say on election on election night that would uh Pennsylvania. We'll just use Pennsylvania as as an example here. Let's say Biden wins, but the race is so close that you can't really. It's within the margin of error, right? So we have a a, a two a, a two thousand Bush v. Gore Florida situation. We could have it in Pennsylvania. We could have it in Ohio. We could have it in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, maybe Texas, Nevada, Arizona, like all these states that could be so clear. It only needs to be, uh, you know, fucked up in a couple states or even one to throw the whole thing into chaos. So, I mean, would, would we see an elective uh, um, Trump try to do some kind of executive order where um, maybe Trump wins the popular, but it's within such a close margin and the executive order to stop a recount? Uh, I know I've, he's been talking about uh, stop stopping the, the vote counting on November 3rd, which I think is yeah, very I stupid. I don't know if he could do um, that. I, I, I don't think certainly he can hope do that. that. Well, well, uh, yeah. All right. Well, if he can't, if he can't, well, his Supreme uh, Supreme Court picks uh, that will come into mm-hmm. play very quickly. And yes. would they rule in his favor? Would they would they rule? Um, I would say on the side of democracy. Who knows? Um, yes. Uh, what do you? So think? of course, I, mean, I, th- I think now. So, oh, you go ahead. Of course, now uh, Amy Coney Barrett has been sworn in as a Supreme Court justice, which gives the uh, conservative uh, wing of the court. Um, um, I think it's a. Um, I forget. I forget the the breakdown, but the conservatives have a, 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 oh, uh, a five four advantage, and and it's five four. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's still it's still pretty tight, you know. But um, conservatives definitely have an advantage in in the Supreme Court. Um, I want to read a little bit of this uh, article from NPR that I think breaks down the current situation very well. Um, it, it, does so better than I can just just freeballing here. Um, again, this is from NPR.org, and this was published yesterday, so it's very recent. The final NPR electoral college map analysis shows Democrat Joe Biden going into election day with a clear edge, while President Trump has a narrow but not impossible path through the state's key to winning the presidency. Among states leaning or likely to go in a particular candidate's direction, Biden leads by 279 electoral votes to Trump's 125. A candidate needs 270 electoral votes to win a majority of the votes available and the presidency. So Biden's going into this with, um, you know, um, nine electoral votes uh, more than he needs to become the president. That means Trump needs to flip at least one state that is uh, at least likely to be uh, a blue state. Um, Which I, I think it's so interesting that uh, here. Well, yeah. if, if I can just jump in for one second, I think it's interesting that NPR yeah, is a that uh, uses that breakdown for you know if like what he's entering into the race with. Um, 
Real Clear Politics, um, they estimate he's coming, he's stepping up to the plate with uh, 216 electoral votes. Um, they still have, they still have uh, mm-hmm. Trump at 125, but yeah, they'd say that he only for sure yeah. has 216. But go ahead. So NPR is just filling out the map a little bit more. You know, the difference yeah. is, is some of those swing states that Real Clear Politics is calling a toss-up, too close to call. NPR is kind of saying, ah, we kind of think this is going to go blue. They're, they're, they're speculating here. And, and everyone's speculating because, you know, the election hasn't happened yet. Um, but let me continue a little bit with this article. That means even oh, if Trump I, 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 wait, wait, let me, all of the... Yeah, yeah. If I could jump in one last time, I'll let you go. I swear to God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if you look at Real Clear Politics, if you, if you uh, look at Real Clear Politics and remove... Uh, the uh, the toss ups and just go strictly on polling, polling in all this in all the, all the uh, swing states. Then Joe Biden's at three forty five. Just just strictly really? based on polling and nothing else. Yeah, yeah that yeah. uh, Joe Biden has three hundred and forty five electoral votes. I don't think that's what we're going to so, see, but yeah, it's a that's big that one. Yeah. <laughs> all right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. So that means even if Trump were to win all the toss-up states, he'd still come up 11 electoral votes short and would need to win over at least one state currently leaning in Biden's direction. The Trump campaign has its eyes on Pennsylvania, which, of course, uh, Trump won last time. It's now it has trended blue, but we just had an outbreak of, of chaos in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. this last week. So, um, uh, uh we had another situation where a black man was shot by police, shot and killed. Um, and uh, the result after that, you know, there was a lot of unrest, riots, looting, protesting, demonstrations, whatever you want to call it. There was chaos uh, for um, a few nights in a row. I believe it's still ongoing in Philadelphia and elsewhere. Um And, you know, Trump is trying to be the law and order president. Um, Do you think that's going to impact how Pennsylvania in particular votes? Do you think that this is going to help Trump in this key battleground at all? I think if Trump wins Pennsylvania, you will be able to look at that of what's going on in Pittsburgh and say that is the reason why Trump won. And I think it is appropriate and accurate to make that statement. Um, I think what's kind of at play is if you were, if you were a, you know, a moderate, if you were the, uh, um, if you were a Obama Trump voter that was, was now, you know, leading Biden this election. um, I think it comes down if you, if you did your mail-in vote already or not, you know, (laughs) Uh, I haven't looked at their, their uh, early voting numbers just yet. But I mean, if you've already voted in favor of Biden, um, it's you can undo it, but it's going to be a lengthy process. And actually, no, they're actually passed. I, I believe to, uh, today was the cutoff for early voting. So I think if you if you voted already, I think you might be screwed unless I guess maybe you could probably cancel your vote and then vote in, in person on Election Day and do it that way. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure how many people will or, or would do that um yeah but yes i i think this will have huge 
implications. Um, maybe, and, and if it's not for the presidential race in 2020 or anything else that's on the, maybe, you know, maybe this ballot is not affected by it, but come 2022, if these, if, if this type of activity is still commonplace in 2022, I'm, people like people will remember how how Pittsburgh burned, how Portland burned, how New York, um, oh, basically every major city in this in, in this country was on fire. That could have and if, if it continues down this path, uh, in twenty twenty two will be a reckoning for uh, anyone who supports uh, these actions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, let me continue a little bit with this article because there's some more interesting stuff in here. Um, this month, we moved Arizona from lean Democrat to toss up. So Arizona is uh, trending in Trump's direction. Texas, after much hesitation from lean Republican to toss up. So that's going in the opposite direction. If Trump loses Texas, Trump has no chance. He needs to win Texas. Um, uh, I think Austin, which is uh, my new my new city, uh, it's the fastest growing city in the country. And a lot of people have been moving here from California and New York, you know, essentially expensive blue states. Uh, a lot of them are bringing, bringing their politics here with them. You know, I, I've seen a lot of bumper stickers saying, don't California, my Texas. Uh, so it's, it's a concern that Texas is going to become a blue or at least a purple state. And Democrats do think that they can win here. They are competing. So we'll have to see. But uh, nobody's going to know until after election day. Um, they moved Montana from likely Republican to lean Republican uh, and New Hampshire from lean Democrat to likely Democrat. Not entirely sure what those last two statements mean. Um, Trump faced a similar predicament in 2016, though if he were to win this time, it would indicate an even greater polling error than was seen in key states four years ago. So essentially, NPR is saying this is going to be a harder election for Trump than it was four years ago. The math is daunting, but does not rule out Trump. It does not rule Trump out entirely. He is within the margin of error in all seven of the toss-up states and the one toss-up congressional district in Maine. Unlike every other state, Nebraska and Maine are not winner-take-all. They apportion their electoral votes through a combination of statewide vote and congressional district vote. In Texas and Ohio, Trump currently leads narrowly in the polling averages. So Trump is ahead right now in Texas and Ohio. Um, in the others, Georgia, Iowa, Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, and Maine's 2nd Congressional District, Biden leads by about three percentage points or less on average. If all those go Trump's way, and if all the states leaning toward Biden except Pennsylvania stick with the former vice president, suddenly it would be 259 to 259. Um, that, would, that would make Pennsylvania the decider. And it's a state that could could take longer to count its vote this year because it's not used to processing the high amount of mail-in ballots it's receiving. That could result in a scenario with an election hanging in the balance well past election night, which is going to happen. We are not going to know who the president is on election night. I, I can almost guarantee you that. Again, speculation on my behalf, but don't think we're going to know who the president is on election night. Um, 
Peeling off Michigan by itself would also give Trump enough electoral votes in this scenario, as would winning a combination of Wisconsin and the one electoral vote in Nebraska. So in short, there's a lot of uncertainty heading into Tuesday. Yes, Biden has been constantly ahead nationally and holds small but consistent leads in the, comp in the competitive states. But for lots of Democrats, well, they've heard that before. When all the votes are counted, it's very possible we could see a Biden blowout or a Trump squeaker. And there is more in this article, but that's all I really wanted to read. Um, NPR.org, they do some good work occasionally. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say occasionally. I, I, I love NPR. I'm actually, um, I actually uh, uh, do like a yearly contribution to, um, to one of their partner um, networks, I guess, that puts out their signal um, of like, I don't know, 30 bucks a year or something. It's, it's small. But uh, anyway, they're a good organization. Um, one thing that this article is not accounting for that I think is kind of a big deal is I think the Trump vote is undercounted. Um, and Michael Moore actually said the same thing. Uh, I, I watched him on The Rising this week with uh, Crystal Ball and uh, Sagar. Um, geez, what's his last name? He's got, he's got a tough one. And Jetty. Um, and yeah. Jetty, yes. Sagar and Jetty and Crystal Bar Ball. They have a great show called The Rising. You can get it. Or just Rising, I think. It's on YouTube. Um, uh, free content. Crystal is... Uh, on the left and Sagar is on the right, but they're both, they're both moderates. They get along wonderfully and uh, they're able to prevent, uh, present news in a pretty unbiased manner. Um, they had Michael Moore on as a guest. And um, although I disagree with Michael Moore on 99% of things, he actually knows his stuff when it comes to electoral politics. He predicted Trump would win in 2016 and uh, he was basically saying that the Trump vote is is undercounted. And I believe this, too. When people conduct polls and they call up people, um, I think the Trump people are more likely to uh, to not answer or refuse to say who that who they're supporting. Um, they're very skeptical of the deep state and of you know, the cancel culture going on right now in the left, I, I can easily see in some not so distant dystopian future, you know, people trying to figure out other people's politics by pretending to be a pollster and calling up their house and trying to see who they're voting for, you know? And then if you're supporting the wrong guy, all of a sudden you're out of a job or something. I can easily see that going on. And to a lot of the, the Trump voters who believe in this, deep state and, and a rigged election and, and all that, they're, they're keeping quiet about their politics. You know, they're not putting yard signs out. I mean, a lot of them are, but a good portion of them are, are staying quiet about who they're supporting. Um, so he was basically saying whatever, whatever Biden's lead is in the polls, you should cut in half. Um, and that kind of, you know, makes it much more of a competitive race. Which it is. I, I, yeah, I, I do agree that it, uh, 
the lead that Biden has currently in the polls is not accurate whatsoever. Um, to what extent, who knows? But I mean, there is there's plenty of reason for someone to still lean Trump or to be a even hardcore uh, Trump supporter. Like when you look at what he's done in terms of foreign policy, the uh, trade war with uh, with China, um, the southern border. There's, I mean, <laughs> there's there's plenty of reasons to actually you know to still be on the Trump train. Uh, his uh, his stance against uh, critical race theory. I mean, these are things that are um, these are important to you know a lot of voters, and those things resonate yeah. with them. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, abortion. I mean, come on, like, like yeah. Uh, I mean, like the fracking. The, the, yeah, frack. Right. Yeah. You know the the pro choice. I'm sorry. The pro life movement has probably never been as ramped up as they are right now. At least probably since like Reagan. Like, I think that they, they feel like they have a, a a real shot of getting Roe overturned. And I mean, best believe they are not sitting on the sidelines this time around. Yeah, uh, that's that's true. Yeah, I was I know I, I kind of floated this idea in a past podcast that we did. Um, I was very surprised that they actually moved so swiftly with the Amy Coney Barrett nomination. I thought that they would uh, publicly look like the Republicans are trying to get her through. But, you know, in the last minute, make it uh, so like, hey, show up and vote. And if. Trump is reelected, then we'll move the nomination forward to kind of encourage those uh, right to life people to actually show up and, and vote for Trump. But I mean, I guess they're also looking at the possibility of this being a contested election and they just want to get the the uh, get her sworn in already and all over with so that she's already in place to possibly rule on who the next president should be, because you know, you mentioned Florida early on and what happened in 2000 with uh, Bush versus Gore. We're going to be seeing that, I think, in many states. There's going to be many Floridas this time around. Um, I don't think we're going to know who the president is on election night. Uh, and I just think that there are going to be so many different cases that the court, the Supreme Court, is going to have to decide you know, relating to different states and different, you know, districts in different states. I don't know if we're going to know who the president is by inauguration day. I, 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 I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. Yeah, you know? we, we, we might see uh, a Nancy Pelosi presidency. Yeah. 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 I mean, the chances, the chances are greater than zero. Um, I mean, you know, uh, other situations greater than zero, um, the West Coast seceding, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, factional violence in the street. Um, mm -hmm. So oh, it's going to be violence. Yeah, it's <laughs> regardless. I mean, it's going to be rioting and violence. Um, I mean, God, you man, know, I, I think there's a very good chance we, we... go. You, you go. <laughs> Oh, I'll say, please, for the love of God, can we not have a civil war to instate Joe yeah. fucking Biden? Like, <laughs> come on. Uh, so yeah. not worth it. Not worth it. Um, Isn't that kind of funny? Like, if we had a whole civil war, 
just to put a fucking decrepit, mentally declining geriatric into the White House. Like, <laughs> yeah. Scary times, man. I, um, what I really think, so I am 31. Uh, the first year I voted with, was 2008. Um, that's when Obama was uh, elected. That was the first election I participated in. And I've kind of been paying attention to politics since then. And I, my gut, all right, I mean, this is completely unscientific, but my gut has been correct for the most part on every election since then, including the midterms. So I knew Obama was going to win in 2008. 2010, I had a feeling that the Republicans were going to do very well. They did. 2012, I thought Obama was going to win re-election. He did. 2016, um, uh, 2014, I skipped. I thought the Republicans were going to do very well again, and they did. 2016, I almost bet my friend a decent chunk of change that Trump was going to win. Uh, and I cowered out. It was on me. But the money was was there. You know, he was ready to bet. Um, I have some friends that like to gamble on everything. And I remember where we were. My buddy Joe and I were in our favorite hometown bar. And, uh, you know, he was challenging me to put, I think it was 100 bucks on it. And he was going to give me odds. And uh, I just I, I just chickened out. But my gut was telling me that Trump was going to win. Um, the uh, 2018 midterms, I thought the Democrats were going to do great. And they did. Um, my gut this time around is telling me we're going to have two presidents. <laughs> you know, it, it's just it, it's not saying Trump or Biden. It's just saying chaos. And um I really hope my gut is wrong. I, yeah, I me too. I, 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 I feel the same way, man. Yeah, I feel the, the exact same way. I am not going to be surprised regardless of the outcome. If Trump wins, I'm not surprised. If Trump wins in a landslide, I would be a little more surprised. But yeah. <laughs> if, you know, if, if Biden wins by, you know, um, if, if if Biden secures 350 electoral votes, like I won't be surprised. If he only gets to like 275, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if there's an electoral tie, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, well, saw that coming, kind of. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So what happens in the event of an electoral tie? Then I, I believe. All right. So I I might be saying this wrong, but I believe that each state would appoint a, a different electorate than the electoral college. So they would, uh, um, I, fuck, I, I, I might be, actually, I don't, I don't even want to speculate, but it's in the constitution somewhere that mm -hmm. was like, even the, the, it's the same place that, that puts the electoral co college in the constitution. That's the, 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 the same amendment that they'd be referencing as like the electoral college is really by choice. Like the state's, by choice decide to engage with the electoral college well they could say hey instead of that this is what we're going to, going to do instead and so you you could mm -hmm. put people in this position or the, the, this you know uh, this new type of electoral college that you i mean you could d depending on who's in control 
you could decide the fate of your state. So Biden potentially could win a state. It's too close to call. And so uh, let's say, it, but the Republicans are in control. They're going to say, well, well, these are the people that we put in, in this position here. And then that, that's how the, the vote's going to go. You know, tough shit. Um, I, th- oh, I mm-hmm. think, uh, I, mean, I think also what we could see here too, it's um, more faithless electors. Uh, there was quite a few mm-hmm. back in 2016. I would be, that's another thing. I would not be surprised if there are more faithless electors than what we had last time around, which adds more chaos. And, and that is to a, the situation. That, that, yeah. And a faithless elector, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. It's basically somebody who uh, uh, is an elector who is supposed to vote. You know, they're supposed to uh, vote how their, their state went. Like if, if Florida votes for Trump, when the electoral college gathers behind closed doors and they do the actual vote to decide who becomes president you know they designate certain electors um they're supposed to if florida goes red they're supposed to vote for trump but they could vote for somebody else instead really right right yeah so like in 2016 there was votes cast for like colin powell um john cases mm. um there were some other ones too but, uh those are the two that i can remember off the top of my head yeah. So, hmm. Who? It, like, um, no. Interesting stuff. Man, like nobody knows um, how this is gonna go. Real quick before we wrap up, hypothetical question here: If Trump loses, and let's say it's it's a Democratic landslide, right? Uh, a, a big seat, a big blue uh, wave just crushes the whole country. Um, What's the future of the Republican Party? Hard to say. Um, I hope I hope the Republican Party actually does retain some elements of nationalism and populism. Um, I hope that it's not the same flavor as Trump, like the mm-hmm. bombastic, ridiculous. I mean, just the the vitriol, the uh, I think that shit all needs to die. Um, but yeah, but I think you know the 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 ideology of of America first. That definitely needs to stay. Uh, that that is the type of Republican Party I I I want in this country. I I I, I truly I want them to be the populist nationalist party. Like no, like no mistake about it. But yeah, it's the it's the authoritarian elements. Um, there, I, I think the I, I, you know Trump is not Trump is not a racist. Trump is not a xenophobe. However, he does draw that thinking out of the woodwork. And it's kind of it's the same way we've talked about pride, or I've talking talked about pride boys in, in the same light. Um, uh, uh, it's also been said, you know. Uh, not every Trump supporter is a racist, but every racist voted for Trump, right? <laughs> um, yeah, right, right, right. So I, I think that stuff they 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 need to refine their identity to where 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 it is more appealing. And in, in, in this election, you can see it. There is a larger black support for Trump. There is 
a large Hispanic support for Trump. I, I th- um, Hispanic males are leading heavier for Trump than they are for Biden. So it shows wow. that they're like that, 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 that message is resonating. However, they need to, they need to quash out any criticism of them being racist, xenophobic, homophobic, all the isms and obics that are, that are out there that are labeled upon them. Um, so I, I think that's, that's what I hope. What do you hope? Um, I mean, it's hard to say like, um, yeah, it, it needs to lose the bombacity, you know, the absurdity that, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that is Trumpism, but there, there are certain elements of Trumpism that are okay. You know, the America first message, um, I, I like it. I don't love it. You know, um, I don't want it to be America alone, you know, and that's what it kind of sounds a little bit like to me. Um, but you know, like NATO needs to, our NATO partners need to be paying more, you know, we shouldn't be footing the entire bill for NATO or, or just about the entire bill. Um, you know, there, there are, are certain things that Trump has done that traditional Republicans would have never touched. And um, I'm glad he's moved the party um, in that direction, you know, moved it towards addressing China um, in, a, in a constructive manner. Um, so um, I hope it gets a remake. Uh, I hope it keeps some of the elements, but you know, changes others. Um, I, I hope that the new Republican Party is better at um, reflecting um, or, or turning away racists. You know, it, it's not good that the Republican Party is seen as the party that's more friendly to racists. That's not a good thing. Um, you know, I, I hope it really takes on an, uh, more of a, a I think it, I, I hope it becomes more libertarian in certain senses, uh, but also will regulate where regulation needs to be, you know, like the whole free speech thing and censorship that we were talking about before. I think that could be a major platform of the Republican party moving forward to stand behind free speech principles. I think it's a very big deal and I think it's a winning message. Um, you know, uh, free speech, um, controlled and fair immigration. Um, you know, we're going to let in refugees and people who really need to come in who are fleeing violence, but we're not just going to let in everybody. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're going to vet people and we're going to um, put more weight behind merit. I think that's a, a, a winning argument. Um, you know, when it comes to taxes and the economy, you know, still argue for uh, small government and low taxes. Um, I'd like to see the Republican Party adopt a universal basic income or a freedom dividend. It's really just essentially tax policy. It's not that far off from what Republicans already support. I'd love to see Andrew Yang run as a Republican. I think he would get a much better reception as a Republican than he did as a Democrat. I mean, you know, 
the liberal networks really colluded against him and treated him very unfairly, I felt. Um, so, um, you know, the whole uh, um, Yang media blackout situation. Um, anybody who uh, followed Andrew Yang is very familiar. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it's just, uh, um, and, and push away from identity politics, you know, um, the future of the Republican party has to be, because the Republican party under Trump definitely engages in a version of identity politics. Um, I don't like identity politics. It needs to be the party, or I would hope it would be the party of unity, of of higher principles. You know, when the Democrats say we're the party for black people, Latinos, Chinese, gays, lesbians, straights, I, I hope the Republican Party just says we're the party for everybody, all Americans. We're all Americans. We're all human beings. We're all one big family, regardless of race, creed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which, they, I mean, they kind of do to an extent now, but, you know, then Trump says some inflammatory stuff, retweets a video with a guy yelling white power in the video, and, you know, it kind of becomes this, you know, dog whistle to, to racists. So um, that needs the change. So, um, yeah, it, you know, if, if Trump loses in a big way, uh, there is some hope that there would eventually emerge a new Republican movement or a new right-wing party altogether that's a little bit more inclusive and a little bit more, um, you know, along the uh, lines I just, just laid out. Um, so, yeah, those, those are my thoughts. Yeah, that's a, I think for exactly the reasons you laid out is why I think we should have um, an active or an elected Green Party and an elected Libertarian Party because, and, and, and the Democrats and the Republican, Republicans, we have this party within a party thing that's not fucking working. Like to have progressives mm -hmm. and the same thing you know, with, with all the other Democrats to have, um, Trump versus what do you even call it now that Trump is versus never yeah. Trumpers in the same party. Like I would rather, right. I, I would rather like the never Trumpers just be libertarians. So we could just like clearly identify their, you know, what they really stand for. Same thing with yeah. the Democrats. If you, know, if, if you don't really, you know, if you're for uh, Medicare for all, if you're for these other, you know, social socialist type programs, just I wish you could just be a green, and so we could like clearly right. know, like you know, this is this is what you're about. If you're like, if you if you want the Green New Deal, all this stuff, it, it's I don't like how it's currently set up because it's nothing. You, when you can't even have agreement in your own party, like nothing yeah. good, you know, is produced from it. That won't change unless we get ranked choice voting, which is something that we desperately need. Um, you know, I could see a scenario where the Republican Party collapses altogether for a few years and the Libertarian Party maybe takes its place or a new party. We've had that happen before. You know, the, we used to have the Whig Party and then that dissolved mm -hmm. and the Republican Party took its place. Um, and before the Whig Party, it was the Federalists 
You know, we've we've had right. we've always had two parties in this country, but there have been some uh, uh, changes um, in, in those parties. Um, first was uh, the Federalists and the what is it, the Democratic Republicans, I think they call themselves, which really is the Democratic Party. Um, they've kind of been in existence since the beginning, and then the uh, uh, the other party has as you know the the opposition to that has several times dissolved and created a, a new party in its place. Um, the Federalists, the Whigs, and the Republicans. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll have to see what happens and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, besides the presidential election, is there anything else that you're keeping a, an eye on on November 3rd? Um, well, the Senate is a big deal. Uh, you know, there's a very good chance that the Democrats, if they win the White House, um, they could take the Senate too, which will give the Democrats a, a monopoly on on power essentially. Um, so I'm voting uh, with a mixed ballot. Uh, I kind of like to see, even though I can't stand Mitch McConnell, um, I, I, I'd like him to be gone. Um, I'd rather the, the Republicans keep the Senate. Uh, if the Democrats take the White House, this way we have a little bit of gridlock and if it would force them to compromise a little bit. Um, and uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's really a good idea to have one party able to push through whatever legislation that they want at any given time, because then that in our polarized environment, uh, like Obamacare, for example, it, it turned healthcare into a political football which yeah, was not good. You know, that's the biggest reason why Obamacare failed was essentially because Republicans did everything that they can to make it fail. And insurance companies were faced with a lot of uncertainty around the law. You know, is it going to be struck down in the courts? What's going to happen? Um, and when there's uncertainty, prices go up. So, um, like, so this the tax cuts and, and jobs act that Trump got through um, during when that was back when Republicans controlled everything uh, in the first two years of of the, of the Trump presidency. Um, every company that received a major tax cut at that time knew it was temporary because when the Democrats come back and retake the White House, which inevitably they will. They probably will this cycle, but not definite, as we just went through. Um, there's a very good chance that these tax cuts are going to be repealed. Just about every Democrat wants to repeal them, uh, especially for high income earners and corporations. So, I mean, when these companies got the tax cut, a lot of them were thinking, um, we got to be prepared for when we're going to have to start repaying these taxes again. Maybe we shouldn't use this money to reopen a, a huge facility right here. We should hang on to it and assume, you know, we're going to have to pay it back in the future. So, I, I, you know, just when laws are passed without bipartisan support, uh, it becomes a 
political football and it creates a lot of uncertainty around the law. People can't depend on the law remaining in place for years to come. And that's just, it's just not, not good for our uh, entire system. So I'd, I'd like the Republicans to maintain control of the Senate if Joe Biden wins. So I'm going to be, you know, I don't expect you to tell everybody who you're voting for, but I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to be casting my first ever vote for a Democrat for president, uh, but I'm voting uh, red pretty much down the ballot. Um, but I am, there, there's actually a libertarian running uh, in my congressional district. I think I'm going to give that guy uh, the vote. So I'll have a D, an R, and an L all on my ballot. And uh, everything else probably will probably be R. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, so, uh, well, yeah, I'm yeah. here. I'm here in Missouri. So uh, um, Missouri is heavy, heavily leading towards Trump. There's there's no way that Biden's going to take Missouri. Um, so in Missouri, a vote for Biden is a protest vote. It, it, it means nothing. So I, I will be using my mm-hmm. vote to vote for what appears to be Joe Jorgensen. Um, I'm going to vote for whichever third party candidate has a better shot at reaching five percent. According to the polls right now, it's clearly Joe Jorgensen. Um, I think Howie Hawkins, God bless him. I like him. Um, he just doesn't have the energy behind him like like Joe does. Um, so that's who, who I'm yeah. voting for president. I, I will also likely have a mixed ballot. There are some, some Democrats that are in my district that really suck, that didn't did that didn't even run a campaign and somehow like won their primary it it was was, it's a a whole thing we can talk about uh later on but um but yeah i will have a mixed ballot as well i'm very glad that we have open primaries here in missouri so i have the ability to do that i'm sorry we have open we have open elections we have we have yeah we have closed primaries we have open elections Mm -hmm. i said that incorrectly Mm -hmm. so um so yeah i'm pumped i'm I'm ready. Um, I think yeah. uh, if I could talk about the other elections or other or even issues that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, on Tuesday, we have votes to legalize marijuana, recreational marijuana. That's going to go down in Arizona, South Dakota, Montana, and New Jersey. Mississippi is going to be voting for medical marijuana. Oregon is going to be voting for medicinal psilocybin. Um, in, uh, in California, Prop 22, that's going to just decide whether or not gig workers are independent contractors or employees. I think it's a very important uh, uh, decision to keep an eye on because that might set the standard for the rest of the country. Also, mm-hmm. Prop 24 and what tech companies can do with your personal data. That could also set the precedent for uh, federal legislation and uh, all the humanity forward uh, candidates. I think we're going to have in that front more losses than wins. Um, I won't get into who I think is going to win, who's going to lose, but I will say, I think, I think 26 of those candidates are going to lose. 23 are going to win. And there's three races that are so close that I don't think you can even really predict who's going to take it. Mm-hmm. So can you, um, I think we are going to have, can, can, can you back up a second and explain what humanity yeah. forward is to uh, the people who may not be familiar? 
So Humanity Forward is the an a organization that was started by Andrew Yang after he dropped out of the presidential election. They have done a lot of excellent relief work during the pandemic. They've um, were able to, to provide cash relief to individuals to basically anyone who asked for it. Um, it was it was a really great program they had set up there. Um, but they have also endorsed a bunch of candidates. Well, uh, fifty-five, I think, if I do that math in my head right, which I'm probably wrong, but somewhere around fifty-five candidates um, that are up for election on Tuesday. That most of them, not all of them, but most of them, support and endorse a UBI, a universal basic income that is either identical or very similar to what Andrew Yang was running on. Um, some of them are, well, I was, I'll say many of them are much more progressive than what Andrew was, uh, things when it comes to um, well, immigration, um, when it comes to Medicare for all, those types of th- uh, relations with China, those things are a little different than what Andrew stood for. Um, but universal basic income being the most important issue of them. Uh, we will have people elected in office next year. Well, they're going to be, they're going to win their election on Tuesday and they will be in office next year, which I think is phenomenal. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, yeah, there, there, there's some people on this, some people on this list that I don't really agree that should be on there. Like people like John Hickenlooper, did you really have to endorse him? It's like we all know he's, is, he's not. I saw that. Why was ahead. he? So he supports universal basic income. No, uh, he might, I guess, you know, support pandemic uh, relief, relief, you know, type legislation. Uh-huh. But yeah, but yeah, he is he is not running on UBI. Um, maybe him and you know maybe him and Andrew have had a conversation where privately he is way more open yeah. to the idea. But uh, yeah, yeah, um, that's weird. He's on that um, list. I like Hickenlooper though. He's a, he's a businessman. You know, he was he was running for president. He dropped out early on during the uh, Democratic primaries. But uh, I, I actually I actually liked him. And now he's he's running for Senate. He's uh, I guess trying to knock mm-hmm. off the Republican. I think who currently has that seat. Uh, I'm not sure his name off offhand. Um, but he, he's a He's a business guy, you know. I, I generally like the idea of having people with business experience in government, and I, I know that I, I think Trump kind of was supposed to be this genius business guy, and he was supposed to fix all our problems and everything. And I think a lot of people are thinking we don't need another business guy. It was a bad move. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think Trump is your typical business person. You know, I think he was more of a showman than anything else. And there are some possible shady things in his taxes and whatnot that might show he's not the business genius that he may actually be. I don't know, though. I don't I don't really know. Um, but uh, John Hickenlooper, he's a business guy. He's a beer guy. He uh, he owned the brewery and I like beer. So I, I kind of like John Hickenlooper. He, he signed the first. Uh, uh, he made Colorado the first state to legalize recreational marijuana, and he was uh, the governor who signed it into law. Um, because I think he was the mayor of Denver, then he became the governor, I think, and now he's running for Senate. That's yeah, that's what it is. So I, I kind of have a, have a positive uh, outlook on, on Hickenlooper. 
Um, yeah, he's done a lot of great things. Yeah, yeah I, I, it's, um, you know, I, I definitely, I don't hate or I don't really dislike John Hickenlooper, but yeah, he's, um, uh, yeah, he's, he's a good, decent man who I think would be a good senator. Um, I just don't think he fits the. I don't think he fits in very well with the humanity forward candidates. I'll just, I'll say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I hear you. I mean, he, I mean, he, he, uh, like you know, Tim Ryan is also on that list. I think Tim Ryan has definitely gone to bat for Andrew Yang way more than John Hickenlooper has. Maybe I'm, maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong. Maybe John Hickenlooper is Yang gang to the fucking core, but, uh, <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. He's on there. Um, anything else before we, we wrap up? No, I don't think yeah. so. I think, uh, I think, I think people that are following the humanity forward stuff real closely, I think they're going to be disappointed in a lot of these races, people that they've been really putting their weight behind, especially on Twitter. I don't want to, I don't want to say people specifically, but I think there's going to be a, um, a little bit of a heartbreak and, mm-hmm. The people, a lot of these humanity forecasts that do, that are elected, many of them you are unfamiliar with, that most Yang Gang folk will be unfamiliar with. Um, yeah. But hey, a win, a win, a win is a win, and God damn it, um, yeah, there'll be a few wins. I'm pumped. There'll be a few wins. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm excited mm-hmm. too. Very excited. I'm nervous. I'm. Uh, I kind of want to get this done with, but. Um, yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. I don't know. I'm I'm out of I'm out of thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess this is a good place maybe to wrap up. What do you say? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Hopefully, uh, oh, it's actually Halloween right now as we're recording this, so it'll be the day after Halloween. Oh yeah. When you're listening to this, so Jeremy, happy Halloween, and to everybody listening, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully everybody was safe last night and uh, hopefully uh, you got more tricks than COVID. Uh, So um, just, uh, yeah, hopefully everyone had a safe Halloween and we will be back after the election with post-election analysis. (laughs) Um, Probably the Saturday after the election. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, a fun one. Everyone just be safe and um, try to keep socially distant on the lines while you vote. And um, make sure you stock up on groceries because who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going shopping tomorrow and I am <laughs> stocking up. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. Cool. All right. Hey, uh, yeah, be sure to uh, like dislike share subscribe comment and we will see you all on the other side of, of a civil war yeah yeah we'd love to get some thoughts so anyone who's got any any thoughts comments on anything please send them our way and if you want us to cover something specifically let us know and we will look into doing that all right have a good night everybody